Well, it's that name that we're here to honor. It's that name that we're excited about. It's actually that name, the name Jesus Christ, that if you were here last week on Sunday night, we had the chance of of baptizing eight people into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It was such a thrill. And, And I'm just kind of still riding that wave as we gather here tonight. As we gather here tonight to lift up the Word of God and see how the gospel continues to work in our lives. And so if you want to remain standing, I'm going to read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, one verse to start, verse 13. Listen now to the Word of God. It says, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the Word of men, But for what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in those that believe. Let's stop right there and have a seat. Now, tonight, we're going, to, uh, we're going to jump in. We're going to handle verses uh, 13 through 16. So we're uh, kind of a smaller text tonight compared to the last few weeks. And, and we're going to, we're going to uh, see how the gospel keeps us on track. We're going to see how the gospel impacts us. But, but before we jump into any of that, I, I'll, I realized uh, some time ago, and we've talked about this before, in a different context, there kind of are, uh, there's kind of two kinds of people in the world, Right? And we've talked about this before in the spiritual context as those who are in Christ and those who are out of Christ. But tonight, the the context is for the two kinds of people in this world. It's the two kinds of people that interact with trail mix differently. Trail mix, right? You see, when I was a kid, I was was the kind of kid that uh, when my parents had a bowl of trail mix, I would go up to that thing and I was a picker. Anybody else a picker? I went in there and I didn't want some of those nuts. And I didn't want all of it kind of mixed together. And so I would go in there and I would like, there's an M&M. There's an M&M. There's an, anybody else like that? You go in and you choose what you want, right? But that, that, was, not, uh, that was not okay with my parents. <laughs> my mom saw me doing that and she put an end to that very quick. And soon after that, I became not a picker, but a hand grabber. You know, you go in there, you scoop it in there, and you put it all in your mouth all at once, and it just gets mixed all together. Who, who eats their trail mix like that? Steven in the back? Okay. That's, you know, because I was trained by my parents. That's the way it's meant to be done, Right? So if you come to my house, and I've got trail mix sitting out there, and you start picking out the good stuff, I'm going to be like, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. What are you doing? <laughs> That's not how you, you got to share the good stuff with other people. You, you just got to grab, you get what you get, right? You get what you get. Now, I don't know what kind of trail mix person you are. I, I know what kind Steven is because he raised his hand enthusiastically when I mentioned being a scooper, right? I don't know if you're a picker or a scooper, but here's, here, here's the deal. I think some of us, I think some of us approach not trail mix that way, but I think some of us, that's how we approach the things of God, In fact, I would go so far to think that some people in the world, maybe some even in this room or watching online, some of us approach Jesus that way. Here's what it looks like. Some of us, we walk up to Jesus and we say, I like this about Jesus, and I like this about Jesus, but all this stuff over here, I don't want anything to do with it. Some of us, we, we do that with the Word of God. We walk up to the Word of God, and we say, oh, I, I, I like this section right here, and I like these verses over here. Oh, but this stuff right here, I'm not even going to read that. I'm not, you know what, I don't, even think that's, I don't even think that's meant to be there. Is that how you approach the Word of God? 
Is that, is that how you approach the things of God? Is that how you approach Christ? You see, that's not how, that's not how those, those Thessalonians that Paul preached the gospel to, the people that this letter was written to, that is not how they accepted Christ. In fact, our big idea tonight, as we look at verses 13 through verses, six, verses 13 through 16 of chapter 2, what we're going to see is that those in Christ accept all of Christ. But let me say that again. If you are in Christ, if you have trusted in Jesus' death and resurrection, when, when you are in Christ, you are meant to reach your hand as deep down and grab all of the trail mix. I mean, I mean when you are in Christ, you are to accept all that comes along with that. Let me show you what I mean. As you open up the scripture, let me show you what I mean. And as we do that, let me ask you, have you said yes to all of Jesus? Are you a, a, someone who's a picker and a chooser when it comes to the word of God? And, and more importantly, tonight, how can you make sure that you don't continue as a picker? How can you make sure that you are someone who's, who is embracing all of who Christ is and all of the things of God that go along with him? L let's jump in. Those in Christ accept all of Christ, and that actually starts uh, with the Thessalonians, with their response to Paul's preaching of the gospel. Uh, what we're going to see is we accept, we accept the gospel of God, as God's word. Look at verse 13 again. Paul writes, he says, and we also thank God constantly for this. Now, if you want to think about thanking God, go back to chapter 1, starting in verse 3. And Paul, we've already covered it a few weeks ago. We covered how thankful Paul was for the way the gospel took root in the lives of those who listened. You can go back and you can listen to that message or you can read it. But Paul, he repeats himself here. He says, and we also thank God constantly for this. That when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. See, w w when we accept the preaching of the gospel, we're meant to be like those in Thessalonica. When we accept the preaching of the gospel, we are meant to accept it the way they did, and they accepted it as the word, not of men, but of God. Now, that's a bold thing to say, right? I'm the preacher coming up here, and I'm, my goal is not to come up here and say, hey, you need to accept my words as the word of God. That's never the case. But, but as, as close as I can, my words are meant to match these words. And if I'm saying these words, your job then is not to accept anything Mike says, but to accept everything the, the Word of God says as the Word. That, that means, according to this text, that the Word is to be heard. Now, I didn't make that rhyme on purpose, by the way. The Word, it is to be heard. But Paul, Paul is saying that this implies, this implies that someone shared the word of God with you. He says, we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us. They heard it from him. 
They, they heard it from his preaching. They heard it from those three Sabbath days, week after week, when Paul and Silas were in Thessalonica, and they went and they sat in the synagogue. And what do they do? They just sit there quietly? No, they sat there and it says they reasoned and they explained and they proved. What do they do all that from? Do you guys remember? From the scripture. They use the Old Testament scripture to point at Jesus. This is the explanation that's expected. This means the word, it needs to be heard. This means that you need to be sharing it. I mean, if you and I, if we were going to receive it, that means we've heard it at one point. But this also has the implications that those in our lives, I actually think they're desperate to hear the word of God. They just don't know it. The word, it needs to be heard, but keep going with me. The word is, is to be heard, but the, the word is also to be received. The, the word received here, it, it's kind of a, a, a term that means to, to formally encounter authoritative teaching. So when they, when they receive the word of God, they're actually doing exactly what you're doing right here, regardless of whether you're loving every word that I'm saying and you're hanging on every word that comes out of my mouth, or if you're sitting here and you're like, I'm not sure about this guy or I'm not sure about this message at all. Right now, you are receiving the word. You might not like it. You might not even accept it. We'll talk about that in a moment. But you are formally sitting under the authoritative teaching, not of Mike, but, but, but of the scripture. This means that they, they receive the word of God. Again, think about those three weeks. Isn't it amazing that Paul, some of his encounters with people, they were one and done, right? He, he preached the gospel. Someone heard it once. They believed. Their life was changed. But you realize there were times when, when he talked to someone over and over and over and over again. In this case, it was three weeks in some cases, it was years that he spent in cities talking over and over. See, see, the word is meant to be heard, but this means the word also needs to be received. This means there needs to be a, a setting where people are constantly receiving the word of God. I, I, I just want to sit here for a moment because I think this, this has an incredible connection to your life right now, especially those who, who have kids in the home. You know, in our homes... It's really easy to get busy and do one thing after another after another. We're, we're running from baseball and softball to school to out of this activity to this friend's house to this chore. And, and when we, we're running from place to place and we're busy and busy and busy and we've got our meals and our dishes and then our chores and it all stacks together, sometimes we forget the key equation in all of this, that especially for our kids, is they need to be constantly receiving the word. This doesn't mean you need to hammer them with it. This doesn't mean you need to be like beating it into them day after day, but, but it does show that it's not always a one and done thing. It's not always a, I shared once with my child and they trusted the gospel, but instead it's this continual, slow feeding at, at reception of the word of God that leads to the transformation, at least in the lives of those in Thessalonica. Now this is great hope. For those in this room who have kids that, you know, you're, you want them to trust Christ. You want them to be saved. It, I want you to know it, it's not you doing a big thing once in a while. It's actually you steadily presenting the word of God so they can receive it. 
But this is also a hope to those who maybe you work in a place where you have a, a friend or a coworker that you want them desperately to know Jesus. And you, you get all anxious about when's the one moment that I'm going to share my faith with them. And you're, you're hoping for that one moment that in that one conversation, the clouds will part and heaven will open up and the angels will go, ah, and your friend, they will trust in Jesus right there in that moment. Listen, sometimes that happens. But oftentimes that's not the way it works. The reception of the word of God oftentimes is just that slow, steady drip, that regular interaction, that constant conversation where it's, it's not pushy, it's not forceful, it's not mean-spirited, but it's so much of who you are that people have an opportunity not just to hear, but to receive, to, 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 to listen to the instruction of the word of God. See, the word of God is meant to be heard. The word of God is to be received. But, but third, this, this is what the Thessalonians did. They didn't just receive it. The word is to be accepted. The word receive, it's an external word. They, they, they externally took it in. But, but here, when you get to the word accepted, this is to internalize it. To, to, to accept the word of God, it means that they welcomed it. They took it in. They internalized it. This is the idea that they, let me just make it really simple. They said yes. After hearing the word of God, after receiving it and considering it, they got to the spot, Acts 17 talks about how they, they, they were persuaded, they were convinced they were persuaded of the claims of Jesus that he is the sinless, perfect son of God, that he died a sacrificial death, was buried for them, and then by the power of God it was resurrected so that everyone who believes that message is saved. They accepted that message. They, they said yes. Do you remember when you said yes to Jesus? I, I just loved last Sunday night. If you were able to join us, it I mean, it doesn't get much better than a Sunday night where you have eight different people from, from kids to full-grown adults climbing into the baptismal waters and telling their story of how and when they said yes. They said yes to what? The word of God, the message of salvation. This is the picture that we have in this scripture where, where we see Paul goes to Thessalonica, Paul presents the gospel, they hear it, they receive it, and then ultimately they say yes and they accept it. But guess what? You don't just accept it. It goes even further. Because what we see next is the word is at work within you. The word is at work in you. Look at the text again. The text says, it says, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers, in those who accepted it. This is amazing. The word of God doesn't sit stagnant in your heart. The word of God doesn't just fill a shelf in your memory of your mind and sit there and does nothing. The word of God, it says, it is at work in those who believe. It is at work in you. How is it at work in you? Well, it's at work in you as you, as you open it up. 
and you read it, or as you gather together and you listen to the word proclaimed, and the Spirit of God moves inside of you in these moments, and it says, it says, yes, yes, this is true about you, and you have this great confidence, Jesus is amazing, or in those moments when you say, oh, that, that's a spiritual term, by the way, when you hear something and you know your life doesn't match with it, when you hear something in the word of God and you know that God's calling you to live this way, but you're living this way, and so you have that moment where you spiritually say, you say, oh, that's one of the most glorious moments. Because you know what's happening in that moment is the word of God is at work in you. It's changing you. It's making you so you're less selfish and self-focused and so that you're more others-focused. It's making you so that you're less concerned about what you want and what you desire and that you're more concerned about the glory of God being seen by everyone in your life. That's what the Word of God does in you. It points you away from self and selfishness. And it points you to the glory of God. This is the word of God. And listen, those who accept Christ, those who are in Christ, we accept all of Christ. We accept all that, that goes with Christ. We're not pickers. We don't just grab the M&Ms. We say, first and foremost, I'm going to accept the word of God. Specifically, the gospel and then all of the implications. Let me ask you, have you, have you accepted the word, the scripture, as the word of God. This is what we do. We accept the gospel as God's word, but, but keep going. Let's get to verses 14 and part of verse 15. We don't just accept the word of God and say, okay, cool, I got my Bible, that's awesome. It goes even deeper. When, when we accept Christ, when we are in Christ, we accept suffering with the Savior. Now, you might say, wait, wait Mike, I don't know if I signed up for this. When you tell me the gospel, you tell me that Jesus died, he suffered for me. When you tell me the gospel, you say that Jesus rose again, you say that he has new life so that I have new life. When you tell me the gospel, you mean to tell me that I'm going to go to heaven forever and be with him. Absolutely, but, but that's not all. See, see the, the normative pattern for those in Christ, it's not life's going to be easy and breezy and I'm going to go to heaven one day. The, the, the typical way we live is we share in suffering. Look, look at verses 14 through part of verse 15. It says, For you, brothers, you, those who, who accepted the words of the gospel as the very word of God, those who are in Christ, he says, For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as, did they, as, did, as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets. This actually says that the, the, the Thessalonians, when they accepted the word, they began to suffer. It describes it in numerous ways. It says, first of all, we suffer as as imitators of the first church. Look at this. Verse 14 says, For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. 
What he's talking about here, he's talking about those very first churches when the gospel, when it exploded, and when they started preaching Christ, and all of those in Judea, the world became an uproar around them, and they started to early on persecute Christians. The first one was Stephen, who they stoned to death. And it caused the church to scatter. You had this brand new church being witnessing the death of one of their leaders early on. They suffered. They suffered. Stephen suffered. Stephen's friends, Stephen's church, they suffered. But Paul doesn't say that was a disconnected event from these Thessalonians. But Paul actually says, you, church in Thessalonica, you became imitators. You, you became those who mimic. Mimic is, is the word there. You became those who mimicked in the suffering of the very first church. Now, they didn't go... They didn't go looking for suffering. They didn't say, oh, we're Christians. Let's go pick a fight with someone so we can get our backsides kicked. No, no. they mimicked based on the situation. They said, no matter what happens, we are going to trust Christ, even if that means antagonism from those around us. We are going to cling to Jesus. We are going to endure in our faith, and we are going to hold on to the confession. The, the, the word of God, the gospel is the word of God, and we are willing to suffer whatever might come. This is the gospel on track. This is, this is when believers don't just pick the best parts out of the trail mix. This is when believers say, I'm, I want the whole bowl. I'm in to the end. This is what the Thessalonians did, and this is what we do. We suffer just like the first church did. Now, we don't suffer very much here in 21st century America. I've mentioned a few times that, that maybe it's coming. I'm, I'm not a prophet. I don't know. In some ways, I sure hope not. In some ways, it, it makes me wonder how exciting it would be. I mean, a little sadistic, right? How exciting would it be, though? Think about it. That your faith mattered so much that it could cost you your life. Would you still follow Christ if that was the case? How, how intense would it be that you, if you knew that following Jesus might cost you everything. In that moment, would you say, you know what, I think, uh, I think this Jesus thing isn't really for me. Or would you do what the Thessalonians did? And would you do what the Judeans did? And would you do what, we're going to see in a moment, what Jesus did? And would you do what the Old Testament prophets did? Would you cling to the word of God? It's interesting. These Thessalonians, they suffered. These Judeans, they suffered. But, but the next point Paul makes here is they suffered at the hands of those who were like them. We might end up doing the exact same thing. We suffer at the hands of those like us. It says, For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as did the Jews. 
those Greeks, uh, those potentially Asian Greeks in Thessalonica, that, that one week they were hanging out together and they were friends together and they were laughing together and they were doing all the same activities together and then the gospel came to town and then they, some of them accepted Christ. A week or three weeks difference, all of a sudden, instead of being friends, you, you have your old friend kicking down your door. Instead of being buddies and co-workers and people that went to the Jewish temple to worship together or people that went to the market together, instead of being, being bros or pals or girlfriends, the next week you're enemies. What happens in a family? What's happened in your family when you've decided to follow Christ? Some of us, it's cost us. Well, what happens in your place of employment when, when you trust in Jesus and others start to find out that you're, you, you're one of those people that believe this ancient book with all these backwards teachings? And those who you used to be best friends with are, are going to sell you out for your faith. In that moment, you say, no, I just want the M&Ms. I just want to go to heaven I just want the promise of an easy life in heaven. That's all I really want. Or in those moments you say, I want the whole lot. No, no, I want all of Jesus. This is what the Thessalonians experienced. This is what we experience. See, we, we suffer maybe at the hands of our loved ones, but keep going. It says that we suffer as imitators also of Christ. Verse 15. It's talking about the Jews who persecuted the Judean church. And it says, verse 15, who killed both the Lord and the prophets. I want you to see the, I want you to see the chain link one after another. I want you to see the lineage here. I want you to see the connection. It says we suffer as imitators of Christ. Go with me a little bit further. It means we also suffer as imitators of the prophets. Here's what Paul does to these Thessalonians. He says, look at here. You are not suffering in isolation. You as a Christian, you're not disconnected from all these other believers. He says, I want you to see that you're connected to the, the first church and their suffering. I want you to see that you're connected to Jesus Christ and his suffering. I want you to see that you're connected even past that all the way back to the prophets prophets and their suffering. He says, I want you to see your spiritual lineage as someone who's part of the people of God. I want you to see what you imitate. What you imitate. This is an imitation. An imitation of courage. An imitation of resolve. An imitation of conviction. An imitation of boldness, an imitation of compassion. This is, this is the lineage we share. In, in, in the very center of that, he points out Jesus. He says they killed Jesus, but remember, you and I were part of that too, right? And Jesus is the one that died for our sin so that we can be forgiven of it, so we can be freed from it. But then he says, we've been forgiven and we've been freed, so we're now in Christ, which means we now accept some of Christ, part of Christ, the good parts of the experience of following Christ. Those who are in Christ accept all of Christ. Good 
or bad, for better or for worse. In Christian culture or in Christian persecution, this is the legacy that we carry on. We suffer as imitators. This, <clears throat> this is very similar to what Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Listen to these two verses, verses 3 and 4. Paul is writing to Timothy, a young pastor. He says this. He says, he says share in suffering as a good soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ or of Christ Jesus he says, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. This is what our suffering looks like. If you're asking, what does it look like for me to suffer for Christ? These are your marching orders. You want to be a good soldier? Here's what he describes. He describes three clauses here. He says, first of all, you need to anticipate suffering. You need to anticipate it. He says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. To, to share in suffering, this command, this means you need to expect it. We, we kind of sooner or later just got to get over the fact that life is going to work out perfectly. Some of us maybe have heard that when it comes to preaching the gospel. Some of us have maybe heard this idea that if you follow Jesus, that means that God has a wonderful plan for your life because he loves you so much. And guess what? That very well may be true, but you and God don't always share the same idea of what wonderful is. Because God certainly had a wonderful plan for Stephen's life, and Stephen laid down his life. God certainly had a wonderful plan for each of the apostles' lives, and each of them, save one, was likely executed for their faith. So does God have a wonderful plan for you? He has a wonderful plan to glorify himself with your life. So, so anticipate that. Anticipate it's going to be hard. Anticipate that if you lovingly and boldly share the gospel, people might reject you. They might not want you in their life anymore. We have to begin to anticipate that. Church, <clears throat> Again, I, I'm not trying to be a doomsdayer. I'm not trying to be some prophet. I, I don't have a milk crate that I take out of the corner of a street every week and, and yell from. But, but listen, this world might get worse. Culturally speaking, it's less and less popular to be a Christian. Culturally speaking, Christians aren't, aren't looked at with favor, <laughs> at least in 21st century secular America. Are you ready for that? Anticipate suffering. Second thing, if you're a good soldier, it means you avoid distraction. He, he says, no soldier gets entangled with civilian pursuits. What is your life being aimed at? Are the dreams and the goals of your life, is the trajectory of your life, is the way you spend your time, your energy, and your focus, is it aimed at things that please God as a good soldier of Christ Jesus? Or are they aimed at your own pursuits for fulfillment or for pleasure or for comfort? What are some of the, what are some of the civilian pursuits of our life today? I want you to think about it for a minute. I mean, I got my answers, but what are some, what do you, what are some in your mind? Just, just maybe jot them down on your paper. What are some of the civilian pursuits? Let me tell you. Entertainment. It's probably number one. The term is amusing ourselves to death. Many of us, we, we get uh, caught in that trap of, of binge-watching shows or, or 
streaming sports, and we want to be so entertained. What else? How about enjoying the, the world around us? No, don't get me wrong, you should enjoy the world, but what if all of your pursuits are about enjoying the world around you? That you're looking for the next experience and the next experience or the next pleasure or the next pleasure. Do you have something that you're pursuing more than you're pursuing being a good soldier of Christ Jesus? What are your pursuits? It says if you want to be a good soldier, it says no soldier gets entangled with civilian pursuits. A good soldier anticipates suffering, avoids distractions, and third, aims to please the commander. Aims to please Jesus. This is your, the third aspect, is, is your life, is it aiming to please Christ? See, those in Christ accept all of Christ. This means that you accept Christ as Savior, but it also means you accept him as Lord. This means that you accept Christ as the one who rescues and redeems and restores you. He's the one who made you new, but you also receive him and accept him as the one who commands you and guides you and is your authority and leads your life. You aim to please Christ. See, see those in Christ, we accept the gospel as God's word. We say, yes, this really is from God. This isn't the word of man. Those who are in Christ, we accept suffering with our Savior. But, but third, those who are in Christ, we accept the timing of God's judgment. Or if you want an easier word, you can put justice here. We accept the timing of when God makes all things new and right. The end of verse 14, it says, For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and drove us out, and displeased God, and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. <clears throat> So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but the wrath of God has come upon them at last. Whew. It's kind of some intense language here. Let's, let's, let's dive into this. Let's pick this apart. What, what, what Paul writes here is he says, first of all, God's enemies, they fill up their sin. It's kind of a weird term, right? They fill up their sin. This is the idea that there's, there's a cup and God has made the cup. He knows the exact size of the cup. And those who are against God, they are filling their cup. <clears throat> and when that cup gets to the very brim, when they filled it with their sin, they, they will face the consequence for it. Some people, it seems like they have a very small cup. <laughs> When I came to faith, I felt like God gave me a very small cup. It felt like every time I messed up, like I would get caught or I'd have guilt. It was like, okay, here's, here's the punishment again, or here's, the, here's some discipline again, right? Some people, it seems like their cup, it's more like a ravine. There's some people, it seems like they do whatever they want. They're full of selfishness and lust and greed and hate, and you're like, Lord... Why don't you do something? We don't know how big the cup is, but, but Paul makes some comments here about what fills the cup. 
How did they, how did this, these first century Jews and first century, um, likely the, the, the Thessalonican enemies of God, how did they fill their cup? Well, it describes them. It says, first of all, they filled up their sin because they killed the Lord Jesus. So secondly, they, they killed the prophets. Paul continues, it says, they drove us out. Paul's talking about those in Thessalonica who pushed away those sharing the gospel. It says, they displeased God. I mean, let's just be simple here. This is what sin is. It's the moment when you do something that, that does not please God. It says they're hostile toward all men. And ultimately, it says they prevent the gospel from going forward. Paul is looking at the generation of Jews and of those in Thessalonica, a generation that was marked by complete rebellion against God, and he says their time has come. Their, their time has come. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But, but here's, here's the truth. We don't have to look far to see a, a generation in a world that is living in complete opposition against God. I mean, the examples are so abundant that it's heartbreaking. We, we, we see those celebrating sin on social media. We see news that, that props up what's evil and what's wrong. We have a political structure that seems to rejoice in, in things that are the opposite of what is good. I mean, we could talk about the list, can't we? We can talk about sexuality. We can talk about abortion. We can talk about race. All of these things that are the opposite of way of the way the Scripture describes the way the world works. And we have those who are stoking the fire against the things of God. You ever wonder how large their cups are? You ever wonder when God is going to do something about those who outright reject him? Do you, you ever grieve in those moments when things that are evil seem to win? I'm certain Paul did. And Paul says, they have filled their cup. This is what Paul means. God's enemies will face judgment. But Paul was connecting the dots between history and his writing at that moment. He, he ends that line, he says, but wrath has come upon them at last. But wrath has come upon them at last. Many people think that Paul is talking about in 49 AD when the emperor Claudius, he expelled the Jewish people out of Rome. During that time, there was an increased persecution against many Christians. In that time, there was actually, a, or not, uh, not against Christians, it was against Jews. He expelled the Jews out of Rome. In that time, there was a massacre of thousands of Jews uh, right around 49 AD. Many people think that Paul, in this moment when he says, the wrath of God has come upon them at last, he, he's got his finger on the newspaper and he's saying, this is exactly what happened. Their cups were full. Here's the reality. It's a heartbreaking 
in sobering reality. The reality is the generation we live in with those who seem to be racing to the edge of the cliff, with those who seem to be trying to fill their cup as fast as possible. Listen, those people, there's going to come a day when judgment will come. I don't think this is a cause for celebration, church. I don't think we should say, yes, he's going to get him. He, he, here's what we do. We do everything we can until that moment to point them to a better way. To love them boldly. To love our enemies toward Christ. This is, this is what it means to accept all of Christ. When we when we are in Christ, we accept the gospel as God's word. When we are in Christ, we accept suffering with our Savior. When we are in Christ, we accept the timing of God's justice. But, but really, we don't just accept all of Christ. I mean, if you, were, if you went to a wedding... And the groom and the bride stood up before the crowd, and, and the, the, the pastor, he says to the groom, um, you, you accept this woman. And he's like, yeah, I guess she's acceptable. Well, what do you think would happen in that wedding? You'd probably see a hand flash across from the bride, right? You, you might not see a wedding in that moment. Do you really just want to accept all of Christ? Do you, do you really want to come to Christ and say, okay, what's the bare minimum of Christ that I can have? Well, I, I, just, want to, I just want to barely cross the line. I just, I, just want to, I just want to qualify. Is that really what you want? See, I, I think that those in Christ, they don't just accept all of Christ, but those in Christ want all of Christ. They want the gospel as God's word. They want the suffering if that will bring glory. And, and they want the patience that comes that knowing that God's judgment will come. Those in Christ want all of Christ. Let me give you a picture of this. The picture comes out of Romans chapter 8, verses 17 and 18. Paul is writing here again. He's writing to, to Christians in Rome. Listen to what he says here. He says, and if children, he, he's just talking about how those in Christ are children of God. He says, and if you're children, then you're heirs. Someone who's going to receive an inheritance. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Look at this. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. He says, you know what goes hand in hand? Suffering and glory. They go hand in hand. They're twins that are joined to the hip. There's no separating them. He says, those who suffer with Christ are glorified with him. Verse 18, he says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul says, you will suffer here on earth. If you want all of Christ, which I hope you do, it's going to cost you. If you want all of Christ, which I hope you do, there will be difficult days. If you want all of Christ, which I hope you do, you will suffer. Let me put it this way. It will be gloomy. There will be gloomy days. But look, the gloom is te temporary. He says the suffering of this present time 
are not worth comparing. This present time, it's temporal. It will end. The gloom is temporary. The glory is timeless. The glory is timeless. He says it's not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. He says there's going to come a day when all of this suffering, it's going to feel like it went like this. Because all of your eternity is going to be filled with the glory of God. This is, this is what it means to want all of Christ. It means you're able to look past whatever earthly difficulties you're facing with, with a vision for the eternal glories that are waiting for you. Now, I mentioned trail mix earlier. It, it's uh, it's kind of like trail mix. It's, it's actually... Maybe even like going to a buffet. You ever gone to a buffet? Those things probably don't exist now that COVID, right? Like you can't serve your own food. But, but as a kid growing up, you'll go into the buffet, and, and the great thing was I was a wrestler at the end of the wrestling season after you cut weight, cut weight, cut weight, didn't eat, didn't eat, did even worse things. I won't even describe some of it. You, you got to your weight level, and you wrestled all season long, and at the end of the season, you know what the wrestlers did? We went. It was like the worst day ever for the buffet employees, right? We, we went to the buffet. And, and you know what? We went in there and we, uh, we didn't have any vegetables. <laughs> we went in there. Our plates did not have any salad. I'll tell you what our plates had on it. We usually had one plate full of all meat and then one plate full of all dessert. That's, that's what we, like, meat and dessert. That's all we wanted. But, but listen, all of that was preceded by the suffering of a wrestling season. I mean, I'll tell you, when we cut weight, we would run with plastic bags over us to make our bodies sweat even more. When we cut weight, we would carry around empty Gatorade bottles and we would spit in them so we could lose the weight through spitting in a bottle for weeks and weeks on end. When we cut weight, we would eat the smallest amount of food and it was, ter- it was like suffering until, until the buffet day. What a, what a small glimpse. What, a, what, a, what an inadequate glimpse of what you really have. You're not cutting weight. You're suffering. You're suffering in your relationships, maybe. You're suffering at your workplace, maybe. Whatever it looks like, you, you will suffer. But if you're in Christ, you want all of him. And there will come a day when it is all worth it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, you, you know what every person in this room or anyone online, you, you know what they're experiencing. Some of us, I know we have family tensions because of our faith in Christ. Some of us, we know that the workplace is... It's got these, these awkward conversations and these moments of, of, of tension and uncertainty... Some of us have experienced even greater levels of suffering and persecution. Yet, Lord, we, we want all of you. We want all of the suffering that we, that we might need to take if it means that we get to share in your glory. And so, Father, we come to you helping us, asking you to help us not to be those who, who pick and choose 
who only take a little bit of Christ that we want. Instead, Lord, I pray that you would help each of us to be those who, who are in Christ. And so we want all of him. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.